Predictions are dangerous. We absolutely need more inventory. The Fed doesn't actually have a lot of tools to regulate inflation. That cash has dried up. Wow, is my first thought, Bruce. If both parties don't win, it doesn't happen. The Real Look. Trending News. G'day. Today's Wednesday, March 29th. I'm Bruce Hardy. And I'm Chase Williams. And this is the news you need to know. Well, Chase, the Federal Reserve has decided to forge ahead in its fight against inflation. Despite several bank closures that have caused turbulence in the financial markets, on Wednesday last week, the Federal Open Markets Committee, the FOMC, announced the decision to raise the federal funds rate by 25 basis points to 475 to 5%. And that, by the way, was its ninth consecutive rate hike. So uh, what thoughts do you have around this rate hike? The fact that they raised the rate wouldn't be surprising at all, Bruce, if it weren't for the kind of recent struggles in the banking industry, right? And some bank failures, as a matter of fact. So there's a lot of people that were projecting or predicting, rather, that they would raise it a half a point. And then when... Silicon Valley Bank and others failed and that hit the news. Then there was a question of like, well, will they raise it at all? And here we are with something in the middle, right? A quarter basis point increase. And then basically saying, hey, the economic numbers came out. They're still a little stronger than we anticipated. We need to stay the course, if you will, for now and raise the rate. What's interesting, Bruce, is that there are now some people predicting, we know how much we love predictions, that this could be the final rate hike in some time. Again, in part because of these bank failures, they're concerned that the Fed continuing to raise the rate, which was their plan, might put some of these other banks in a pickle, in a tough spot. And so it'll be interesting to see if that's actually the case or not, Bruce. There were a couple of quotes here. There was a statement released by the FOMC, and that is the U.S. banking system is sound and resilient. Recent developments are likely to result in tighter credit conditions for households and businesses and to weigh on economic activity, hiring, and inflation. The extent to these effects is uncertain. However, the committee remains highly attentive to inflation risks. So it speaks to the fact that the Fed is indeed still going to continue to focus on inflation. But as you said, the tightening of these credit conditions could actually be the impetus to slow inflation down rather than the Fed raising rates. And let me quote, if I could, Federal Chairman Jerome Powell. He said, we believe, however, that events in the banking system over the last two weeks will result in tighter credit conditions for small businesses, which will affect economic outcomes, adding that it's too soon to determine how monetary policy should respond to the bank's collapses. So I think he's holding his cards, waiting to see what the impact of these changes is going to be on the economy before they go and make any decisions about any rate hikes. Well, the reason for that, Bruce, is when the Fed hikes the rate, given the recent challenges of the banks, what happens is the assets that those banks need to sell in order to fund the demand of the withdrawal of their customers can go down in value when the federal government raises the rate. So again, you take a, I don't want to call it a shaky banking system because it's not, but certainly the confidence in the banking system is a little shaky at the moment. And then you devalue their assets. That is something that they want to be really cautious of based on what Jerome is sharing there, right? And by the way, if tightening lending standards can also help slow the economy, i.e. inflation, 
that's potentially another lever that the government can pull, right? And we talk often on this podcast about they don't have very many levers to pull. The primary one is the cost of money, i.e. the rates. But another one may be tightening lending standards. What control they may have around that, I'm not exactly sure. But if that's another method and one that doesn't put more banks at risk, it's likely one that they're going to look very closely at. Yeah, I think you're right there. It's a fascinating situation. And I don't know that we've actually been here before, right? These banks were actually in pretty good shape if the interest rates had stayed where they were. But it's the fact that the Fed has had to raise rates to combat inflation that has caused these long-term bonds that they purchased. By the way, I mean, they're assets, right? But if they have to sell those bonds early, they have to sell them at a discount. And not only did they buy long-term bonds, but they bought mortgage-backed securities, which the Fed has been very clear about. They are slowed down buying those themselves, which is actually causing a softening of the prices of those mortgage-backed securities. What's fascinating to me, Chase, is there is a silver lining for the buyers in the market right now. And that is, as investors look for a safe harbor during times like this, they tend to buy treasury bonds because they're safer. As they go out and buy those, what happens is the price goes up and then that reduces the yields. Now, mortgage rates are historically correlated to the 10-year treasury, which has dropped more than 40 basis points since the beginning of March. That has had an impact where we've actually seen mortgage rates come down, although they are still volatile, right? They're going up and down in a very small range. That would be the silver lining if there is any with regards to this particular story. Yep, you're right, Bruce. It's going to be one we're going to continue to keep our eye on, particularly if there's a chance that the federal government will stop raising rates, even if it's temporary. We'll have to see if that's actually the case or not. Well, Chase, this story is a little scary to me, and that is digital intelligence platform SimilarWeb just released an analysis that it did on real estate web traffic. And what it discovered was that Zillow is currently drawing 44% of all real estate web traffic through its portal. Second came in Realtor.com with 19%, while Redfin boasted the third highest at 15%. Like I said, to me, this is scary. What's going through your mind when you hear those sort of numbers, Chase? Well, certainly you have a behemoth, if you will, a big player, Bruce, that's dominating the traffic in Zillow. 44% is no small percentage of market share when you're thinking about real estate-related portal visits. And that's a big deal. If you think about any one company having 44% market share, you would start to think about the government intervening and starting to have conversations around a monopoly, right? Here's the difference, in my opinion that this is just web traffic. This is top of funnel for Zillow. And good for them, by the way. That's quite the feat. However, until it starts to impact the pocketbook of the consumer, the federal government is probably not that interested, right? Now, the scary part for you and I is that there's no doubt that Zillow intends to translate this top of funnel (laughs) participation or traffic into bottom of funnel dollars and cents. Right. And that's both the commission dollar of the real estate agent, any fees such that are being paid by the consumer. And they've already started to travel down funnel, if you will. So that's not a new story by any stretch. But yeah, I think it's a big deal. I also think it's a big deal that one of the largest increases in traffic was with homes.com, which is owned by CoStar. As we know, CoStar kind of sunsetted its conversation or bid to purchase realtor.com, number two, like you said. But yet, they're still making some pretty significant moves with their homes.com and the traffic that they're experiencing there. So 
we can only hope that there is a worthy competitor that comes after that 44% traffic. And yet, is CoStar any less scary to you, Bruce, than Zillow owning the eyeballs? That would be my question for you. Yeah, no, it's not. The key here, right, is the fact that we've allowed as an industry, because we weren't very good at lead generation and lead conversion, we've allowed these companies to come into this space. Even though the overall visits to real estate search portals decreased 5% year over year, and that's a result of home sales slipping as well, it still shows that there's a lot of people who go and look at real estate portals. In fact, the report found that 98% of the total share of real estate search portal traffic belongs to the top 10 sites. And nearly half of that share belongs to Zillow alone. Yep. Now, what we do know, Chase, is that when Zillow reported their quarterly earnings report this year and their annual report for 2022 is 1.4 billion came from marketing to agents. So that's 1.4 billion in commission dollars that are now being converted to Zillow dollars. So this is why I say this is scary. And I'd like to just say to our listeners, this is why you need to double down on your sphere of influence. Because when somebody controls that much, who gets to dictate the cost of those leads? Is it the realtors? Nope, you're right, Bruce. And Gary Keller's been encouraging us around the fact that if we don't have the eyeballs, we better have the relationship. And that's what you're saying, right? Because Zillow is never going to have a personal relationship with Uncle Joe, who's in my sphere of influence, right? If I do my job well, I don't have to worry about where Uncle Joe's looking around online because Uncle Joe's going to call me, right? And that's the whole point. But it is telling. The report also found that the home search portals that are tied to specific brokerage brands account for a very small share of the traffic. So you're right. That horse is out of the barn, Bruce. Like people aren't going to... By and large, they're not going to Remax.com or KellerWilliams.com or ColdwellBanker.com. As a percentage, they're not. (laughs) It's not zero, but it's low. And that's okay, because here's why. Just like you said, Bruce, it's great advice. Nobody's going to do business with or have a relationship with Coldwell Banker. That's not even one person. Keller Williams, not one person. Remax, not one person. A relationship doesn't exist there. So it's incredibly important that the local real estate agent maintain their sphere of influence, their database, we sometimes call it, and the relationship that those represent. If you do that, none of this should concern you. If you don't, it should concern you a lot because you're going to end up paying a whole lot more for leads of people that you're not in relationship with. The Real Trends 500 is out and Keller Williams franchises continue to dominate. In fact, when grouped by affiliate or franchise network, four firms emerged as the top, Keller Williams, Remax, Anywhere Brands, and Berkshire Hathaway. These firms also held the top four spots last year. Overall, of the top 500 firms by transaction sides, this is amazing. Of the top 500 firms, 359 or roughly 72% of the affiliates were franchised to either Keller Williams, Remax, Anywhere, or Berkshire Hathaway. Now, that's up from 69% a year ago. So we're seeing more firms who are in franchise organizations filling out that top 500. In fact, of those four firms, Keller Williams recorded the most transaction sides in 2023, and that's based on 2022 numbers, at 811,076 sides. 
they also had the most sales volume with 342.5 billion. Keller Williams also had the largest number of franchise affiliates in the top 500 at 191. And the top-ranked Keller Williams affiliate, Dallas-Fort Worth-based Keller Williams Realty Go Network offices, our good buddy Smokey Garrett, comes in at number 12 by transaction sites and number 16 by sales volume. Now, Chase, I think this is really fascinating because you and I know this, right? All of our franchises are independently owned and operated, but people outside of Keller Williams look at Keller Williams as Keller Williams. Yep. We are one brand and we're one company, Bruce, as it pertains to what we mean to the consumer. The only way we're not one company is technically on paper because we're independently owned and operated. Let me give you another example outside of real estate, just to pound this point home. When someone thinks about getting a McDonald's hamburger, and I'm not suggesting that, by the way, but if you did, right, like you think of McDonald's as double quarter pounder with cheese or Big Mac, and they're all over the country, right? So you don't know who owns the local one here in Spokane, Washington, or Bend, Oregon, or wherever you're at. You just know that McDonald's is one company that you know about and you understand what you can get there. That's how the consumer looks at Keller Williams as a company. And what's interesting to note about those numbers, Bruce, is we didn't dominate in a small way. The word dominate itself is a big word. And we had more than double the number of sides than number two, which was the collection of the Anywhere brands, right? Formerly Rheology. More than double the number of sides in the number one position. And some of our quote-unquote competitors, Bruce, and I don't know how much they are, they like to put information out there that might be a little misleading to the consumer, in my humble opinion, right? They like to say, oh, they're the number one company, when in reality, we're still doing more than double they are under one brand, right? So if we're going to compare apples to apples, which ultimately means what the consumer understands, then no one even comes close to Keller Williams. And I want to be really clear about that. Not even close. Now, you can slice it and dice it and market it to the nth degree to try to tell a different story. But if it's not an accurate one, then shame on you. That's all I have to say. I think that's a great point, Chase, because real estate's a local business done by local realtors with their sphere of influence and their marketing image. The single company that showed up number one on the list closed 397,138 units. And now that's versus our 811,076 units. Oh, by the way, they closed 159.1 billion. Oh, we closed 342.5 billion. Now, both companies, by the way, are made up of agents and brokers. Yep, that's right. So I agree, apples to apples. And I just want to give a shout out to the 15 Keller Williams market centers in the Northwest region that actually made it onto this list of the Real Trends 500. I've got some really good news, right? It feels like a lot of the news we're sharing is sort of down and out just because all we're doing is really reporting reality of the market. But the VA has made some major changes to America's most underutilized mortgage program. In fact, the U.S. Department of Veteran Affairs announced on Wednesday that it will lower the VA Native American Direct Loan Program interest rate from 6% to 2.5% in an effort to make housing loans more affordable for Native American military veterans. One, I just want to say thank you to those veterans and to all veterans, by the way, who protect this country. What goes through your minds, Chase, when I share that info with you? 
Well, Bruce, it's easy for me to get excited about this in particular because I have a lot of deep relationships in one of the tribes here on the eastern side of Washington, very deep relationships. I consider them like family. And this is a big deal. What is that? A 3.5% reduction in interest, especially in this day and age, is massive. Of course, we want to be honoring to all of our veterans and particularly Native American veterans. But why is that, Bruce? Partly because a lot of the land and homes that they would look to purchase, although not all, are on reservations. And most of that land is in trust, which means that traditionally it's been hard to find capital or get financing for some of those purchases because there's some nuance to who can lien the property because it's in trust. That's been traditionally challenging. John Bell III, who's the executive director of the VA Loan Guarantee Service, said that Native American veterans are now able to more affordably buy, build, and improve homes on trust land. That's a key element that makes this really, really important for those specific borrowers. The broader VA loan program, right, is a great program for all veterans. And what it does is it allows qualifying veterans to get into the housing market with no down payments, limited closing costs, and no monthly mortgage insurance costs. But what separates this one, right, as you said, it allows them to do it on this trust land. So this new rate that is going to apply to this begins March 13th. So anybody who applies for a loan or closes a loan on or after March 13th will get this 2.5% interest rate for the life of the loan. And not only that, but Native veterans who currently have an interest rate of 3.5% or higher are now able to refinance at this lower rate, which is truly outstanding. There was a report done last year that found that the NADL program was severely underutilized, with just 89 loans originated in the continental U.S. from 2012 to 2021. So that translates to about 1% of the estimated 70,000 eligible beneficiaries. And according to the report, a lack of sufficient staff at the VA and, and I think this is the and, ineffective communication efforts with relevant committees attributed to the low rates of origination. So we're in a market, Chase, where we need to go and look for the business that's available now. For those who have access to this program, this is a great opportunity. And you need to go out, if you have relationships with Native Americans or Native Alaskans or Native Hawaiians, I would say, go ahead and talk to them about this program because it's a phenomenal opportunity. Yeah, and it's a limited time opportunity, Bruce. Unless something were to change, the 2.5% interest rate will be available for a maximum of 24 months after it went into effect, which you said was March 13th. So for two years, this is a huge opportunity for those 70,000 eligible beneficiaries. So yes, we absolutely need to scream this from the rooftops. It needs to be communicated uh, because it's a gap in the marketplace, Bruce, and that's really our job is to fill those gaps. I commend the VA for making this change. I hope that the VA is also going to properly staff where staff is needed because, you know, admittedly, that's one of the challenges that also exists. So I trust that they're going to solve that problem as well. But yeah, this is a big deal, Bruce. And this is for Native American veterans that we absolutely want to be honoring with this opportunity. And one of the best ways we can honor them with it is make sure that they're aware of it. Native American veterans interested in the NADL program and the new interest rate can send an email to nadl at va.gov or call 888-349-7541. And we'll put those numbers and email address in the show notes. 
That's the news you need to know. Don't miss this Friday's Northern Lights episode where we'll interview Sonia Huntsman with Keller Williams, Sun Valley, Southern Idaho. Thanks again for tuning in with us on The Real Look. This podcast is produced by Marissa Frost. Visit kwnwr.com to access the show notes from today's episode. Head over to Spotify, Apple, or wherever you get your podcasts to subscribe to The Real Look. And don't forget to leave us a review. Thanks again for listening. We'll be back next week with a breakdown of all things real estate.